so people who witnessed this event and the fact that men were saying, I surrender and being cut down anyway, well, that became the rallying cry for people to come together at a time of need out of concern that what happened there was going to happen to them in their own settlements. But it was going to need voices to carry that message through. And those voices were the voices of these devout, radical covenanters like Reverend William Martin. You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, curators, and authors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, walk in the footsteps of heroes, and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are with Mr. Robert Riles, a public historian. Robert, for our listeners, has a master's in library science and a master's in history coming from Florida State. So welcome, Robert. Uh, we're glad to have you back. Thank you, Eric, and I. And please don't hold that Florida State against me. We're, we're glad that you bring the credits with you as we talk about the Scotch-Irish Covenants or Presbyterians here in the backcountry of South Carolina uh, prior to the Revolution and during the Revolutionary War and how it's lost to a casual viewer of the Revolutionary War conflict just how much they played a role in turning back uh, British domination in, this, in the colonies. You're exactly right, Eric. In fact, I have a really great, um, I, I got this from, from Mike's book, a, a snippet of um, Martin's sermon uh, that, that he delivered a couple of weeks after the Battle of Waxhaws. I'm all ears on this. This is a very good sermon. All right. And, and also, this sermon became the basis of what I do for the interpretive piece for the program that I do. Uh, shortly after the Battle of Waxhaws, uh, Reverend William Martin delivered a fiery sermon to his congregation at Rocky Creek making well known his opinions about the British, and I quote, My hearers, talk in angry words will do no good. We must fight. Sorely have our countrymen been dealt with till forced to their declaration of their independence and the pledge of their lives and sacred honor to support it. Our forefathers in Scotland made a similar one and maintained that declaration with their lives. It is now our turn, brethren, to maintain this at all hazards. Let us not forget the butchery of Buford's men cut down by saber and sword while crying out for mercy. Go see the tender mercies of Great Britain. In that church you may find men, though still alive, hacked out of the very semblance of humanity, some deprived of their arms, some with one arm or leg, some with both legs cut off, and others with mutilated trunks. Is not this cruelty a parallel to the history of our Scottish forefathers, driven from their conventicles and hunted as beasts of the forest? Behold the godly youth, James Nesbitt, chased for days by the British for the crime of being seen on his knees upon the Sabbath morning. As to King George, I owe him nothing. I was raised in Scotland, settled in Ireland, and came to this country. As a king, he was bound to protect his subjects in the enjoyment of their rights. Protection and allegiance go together, and when the one fails, the other cannot be exacted. Pretty strong words. Very, very strong words. And word spread pretty quick right. about what he had said. And uh, that, of course, was passed on to British authorities. The next day, 
June 12, 1780. So let me let me stop you right, sure, right, sure. right quickly. You said the Rocky Creek community. Mm -hmm. Where is that? Well, that is in Chester County, South Carolina. Okay. Chester County, South Carolina. In fact, you can still go to where the general location of that meeting house was located. It's is that right there uh, on Highway 97 at 77 that, at, how, at Interstate 77? Yeah, that's that's correct. Right if down you, the road from the Catholic Presbyterian Church. Yes. Right. Yes. And then there's an old Purity Presbyterian Church on up the hill, going towards Chester, that have have a have a few more Revolutionary War soldiers in there. But that Highway 97, right there. Yes. At Interstate 77, that's that Rocky Creek area you're talking about. That's exactly right. Wow, isn't that interesting? It is. It is. It's, it's a fascinating um, a story of, of Martin really rallying the troops. This is more dramatic than what you would find in the Patriot. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. In the Patriot, that, uh, the, 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 the actor that's portraying that sermon is, you know, you can tell at the very beginning of the movie he's just kind of pensive about you know really shouldn't be doing this and then it gets to a point where it's like okay I'll join this fight and then but Martin you know that he's all about the fight right right There's, well he paid for it and he paid for it um, the day after his sermon he was captured by the British at his home he was arrested and sent to the jail in Camden where he was interrogated by Cornwallis, and he was held there in the jail for six months. He was released in December of 1780, and he fled into exile into Mecklenburg County, remained there until the spring of 1781. He almost had, when they released him out of jail, did he have anywhere to go to? Nope. They burned his house, right? Yes. They burned his meeting house, too. Yes. So he really didn't have anyone. I mean, they burned him out and tried to silence him altogether. They burned him out, and they did the same to others as well. There was one uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend John Simpson was another one who had been burned out. Uh, John Simpson was the supply pastor for Bethesda Meeting House here in the New Acquisition District, York County, South Carolina. In fact, that congregation is still active today. The four B's, as Mike Scoggins referred to them. Well, uh, Simpson and about 80 of his congregants took up arms and joined Sumter's Militia Army. And that was uh, on June 10th of 1780. Well, the next day, British forces uh, went to his house looking for him. He wasn't there. So what they did was they terrorized his wife and child, burned down his house, burned down his meeting house and his library. So he had lost it as well. They seemed to do that a lot to people that were tied <laughs> to the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, right. I, think, I think if I, if I they, they burned out Thomas Sumter, they yes. burned out William Martin, yes. right? They burned out William Hill, who had an ironworks here yeah. in the U Acquisition District. Yes, right. They tried to burn down the McClure's, and if it weren't for the uh, their mama saving the house and putting the fire out, they would have done that, right? Right. So they're not they're not above burning people out of their houses and putting them out on the streets, are they? No, they're not. And well, they burned out Richard Wynn too. They burned him out too. That that's right. They wow. did. And 
you know, that, that doesn't set well with people in the back country. It doesn't set well with uh, covenanters especially. Right. If you're, and, and here's the other thing too, something else that they burned down. Going back to the Battle of the Waxhaw, the Waxhaw Meeting House had been used as a makeshift hospital after the battle. Well, it wasn't long after the battle where there was a brief reprieve mm -hmm. for the wounded to be gathered at the hospital makeshift hospital at Waxhaw Meeting House, in which Tarleton gave the order to burn that one down as well. You know, so never mind, never mind that they evacuated, you know, the maimed and wounded from the Meeting House. The Covenanters and other Presbyterians who lived in the area were going to look at that and say, you are burning down God's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is God's house that you're burning down. Mm. So that became a, a, a point of sacrilege for them. It wasn't just getting personal. It was getting... Spiritual. Spiritual. And this it became is, a holy war in many respects. That is exactly right. And that was the point that uh, Scoggins and Shaykhan were, were really driving home in their book, was the fact that this was a religious war on many fronts not just the actions that were British were taking, but they were also uh, like Martin and other devout covenanters were making religious allegories mm -hmm. and metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is where that very persuasive uh, type of um, persuasive sermon and, and speech and rhetoric that galvanized these Scotch-Irish Presbyterians to really come together they needed that spark. That spark was the Battle of the Waxhaw, or Buford's Massacre, that had become to know. But to, the fire... To, to your point, though, it wasn't a speech. It would not have been a speech that would have galvanized them had they not been here for a couple of generations and that had not been inculcated into that culture in this region. Right. Because that culture actually spread in this Catawba River Valley all the way up into the mountains of North Carolina. That is correct. And followed the Catawba River Valley all the way up into there yes. to the Watauga settlements, to the over-the-mountain settlements and yes. that sort of thing, right? Yes, and, and that, was, that was part of it. You know, if, if you were Scotch-Irish, you were Presbyterian. Right. You, Even the Irish were Presbyterians yes. at that point. Because yes. that's who they were living with. Right. That's who your neighbors were. Exactly. And it didn't matter if you, you know, were third generation or second generation, or if you were, you know, fresh off the boat. Right. You know, you were part of, well, a clockin'. In other words, a Scottish clan. Right. Part of the family. Part part of that uh, understanding of this is your family. You know, you have your uh, your Christian family, but then you have your Christian community family. Mm -hmm. And life and community revolves around the church. And if you're, they're going to burn down your meeting house, they're burning down not just your neighbor's house, they're burning down your church, your people's church, your people's home. I, 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 find, I find it very interesting, and, and, and it's really hard for people outside of the faith to kind of to understand just how uh, poignant that faith or, or those convictions are of the people within the church. In, in that regard, uh, you go to Ramsher's Mill and you have neighbors against neighbors up at Ramsher's Mill. They were trying to, you know, we 
to be loyal to the king, and then you had the patriots who were saying, oh, no, and they, they collided there at Ramsher's Mill. And um, Moore, who was over the loyalists, he was a young son of you know, his daddy Moore. Daddy Moore was a patriot. Right. He was a staunch Scotch-Irish Presbyterian. He sent his boy off to college. His boy comes back being a friend of the king, and that caused some sub problems there too. That uh, that really is a microcosm uh, of of that whole conflict in the backcountry anyway, where it was a really a civil war, um, neighbor against neighbor, that sort of thing. But uh, when they start burning down your churches, that starts yeah. that starts. Uh, galvanizing people as you say so. yeah it, it becomes a rallying cause it, it, it be, people became sympathetic to to what had happened to them i mean these uh these covenanters were either forced to flee into exile like uh like martin and um and a couple of others uh, or they basically joined the fight uh like simpson and another one francis cummins he also served in the south carolina militia but they became sympathetic figures. They became the figureheads of everyone's collective experience of what was going on. Mm. And by virtue of the fact that these were, were you know, men that, religious men of the cloth that you knew from an early age growing up. And these were well-respected, well-regarded, well-educated, uh, people that you had the ultimate respect of authority for because they were, in essence, your leaders. They were the leaders that the young men aspired to, that the, mo the mothers wanted their sons to aspire to. Yes, yes. Uh, right. And, and that they were also leaders in, 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 in providing uh, instruction and guidance on, on how to communicate with God so that you could do this. Mm -hmm. And for that to happen to them was also a major affront to the members of these congregations. So by the fact that they could empathize with the plight and, and the fact that they were not spared, that there was no exception for their experience either, it just made, them, made the Covenanters uh, even more fiercely angry hmm. about the British coming in. So. You know, they, they compared the British to the Philistines and other enemies of the, uh, of the Israelites and the Hebrews uh, okay. during this time. Uh, in fact, one, the most, probably the most famous covenanter was outside of Virginia. You mentioned the Overmountain settlements a little bit earlier. Well, uh, there was Reverend uh, Samuel Doak who gave, um, according to, you know, according to the story or, or legend or history, however you want to take the approach there, that he gave uh, a fiery sermon, not as fiery as, say, Martin, but still it drove home the message. It was a message of inspiration to the Overmountain Settlements, the men that were, had rendezvoused there at Sycamore Shoals uh, the night before uh, those militia armies were going to come down and gave chase to uh, Patrick Ferguson. Uh, and it, it's interesting what, what he has to say. Uh, a 
portion of his sermon reads, Your brethren across the mountains are crying like Macedonia unto your help. God forbid that you shall refuse to hear and answer their call, but the call of your brethren is not all. The enemy is marching hither to destroy your homes. Brave men, you are not unacquainted with battle. Your hands have already been taught to, to war and your fingers to fight. You have wrested these beautiful valleys of the Holston Wataga from the savage hand. Will you tarry now until the other enemy carries fire and sword to your very doors? No, it shall not be. Go forth then in the strength of your manhood to the aid of your brethren and defense of your liberty and the protection of your homes. And may the God of justice be with you and give you victory. Of course, there was also reference to the story of Gideon. And that's also something that I uh, do as part of my interpretive piece for the program that I that deliver, is the, the story of Gideon and, uh, and, and make a reference to the sword of Gideon and the sword of Gideon being faith, faith in, in the fact that God will help us overcome this merciless foe. And the British, they were likened to um, Goliath, the Philistines, King George III, as I mentioned earlier, was likened to be the Antichrist. You know, it was not uncommon to refer to the scriptures and make the same analogies. Mm -hmm. And that was something that everyone could relate to as a devout right. Presbyterian. They right. knew their scriptures back and forth. Well, in many cases, that's the only real uh, literary piece they had in their homes. Yeah. And so that's what they learned the English language with. That's how they learned to write and communicate was through the Bible. So they did know these. Uh, did he finish that sermon with the sword of Gideon? What was the what was the term that he used? Uh, yeah, he, he basically uh, said that uh, you know to, to carry the the sword of Gideon. The sword of Gideon will will guide and protect yeah, you yeah. on your journey. They they weren't necessarily all of them fighters per se okay. but because of their role as communicators that they had a profound impact we're talking about the ministers the ministers, the ministers themselves right right profound impact on strengthening their resolve to come together and not to be afraid especially in light of the fact of the, you know, the, um, what had happened at the Waxhaws is something that should be a sign that they needed to fight against the enemy, which in this case was an evil force that had come their way. And that ultimately would lead to, um, you know, several victories during the summer of 1780 when, you know, if you think about it, um, it could have very well been all over had the Scotch-Irish not decided to be part of the conflict whatsoever. Mm. They decided to make a stand and stave off British fort, the, the front line of the British forces until a new Continental Army could arrive. And then even after Gates uh, and his horrific loss at Camden, 
resulted in another devastating, humiliating loss for the Patriot cause, they continued to fight. They continued to, to fight and to um, and not back down in any, in any way. And then, of course, you have Doak and his sermon before King's Mountain. And King's Mountain being um, a very um, bloody and brutal kind of victory on the Patriots' side. It was now it was time for the Patriots to do their eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type of extraction, and to give them Tarleton's quarter as what was said during the battle and after the battle, when the South Carolina uh, Tories and Loyalists were trying to surrender. That was the same treatment that they received. And that in itself was kind of a biblical, um, you know, inspired kind of uh, thinking right. there too. It was part right. of their psychology right. in that point in time. Right. It's a fascinating story. Uh, and I've, I've, you know, you watch the Patriot and you, you get excited about Mel Gibson charging your cow pens and, and a lot of that. And he was a kind of, his, his uh, character in that movie was kind of a conglomeration of different Patriots, uh, I think, in heroes uh, during that time, but when you think about the Covenanters and you think about the Scotch-Irish in this particular area, you can't help but be proud for, uh, for the Americans during that time. The revolutionary movement needed someone with zeal, and, and if, if the British were going to push up against somebody that was going to push back, these people pushed back, and they continued to push back even till the end. And uh, they would, the new acquisition district militia, where you're talking about Bethesda, they would send people down to, uh, to these battles all through the Revolutionary War uh, and fight alongside of the planters down in South Carolina, which they didn't necessarily like to do. They didn't want to move from home because they're very clannish, right? They wanted to protect their homes. Uh, but they had a certain, uh, they had worked it out to where they could, they could do that. This was, this was something they were passionate about and this was something that they needed. They needed to have a culture where they, when they were in it, they were in it. They weren't uh, fly-by-night patriots. These, these guys were in it all the way. Thank you so much for, uh, for introducing us to the Covenanters and, uh, and that, that part of history. And uh, I, I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as I did. Well, thank you, Eric. Appreciate tell, it. Tell us a little bit more about uh, your public historian work and how uh, people can get a hold of you. Sure. Well, as a public historian, I like to give different talks, different presentations about the Covenanters and other subjects. Uh, I'm also a board member of the Mecklenburg Historical Association, and part of our role and our mission is to provide educational talks. And so if you are interested or any members of your audience are interested in having a program, then please feel free to reach out to me. I can be uh, contacted at Riles R, that's R-Y-A-L-S-R, at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Robert. Appreciate you. Thanks, Eric. All right.